Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Lavelle Moten later on life sports and basketball. Roddy Jones on college football as we take our show live to the ACC kickoff event in Charlotte tomorrow and Thursday. The biggest sporting event of this week is on the other side of the pond, as they say. The British Open on the modern calendar, or current one anyway, is the fourth and final major golf championship. Plenty of great stuff after that, including the Wyndham here in the triad part of North Carolina. But Thursday through Sunday, we will see a new Open championship champion. Jason Sobel is an outstanding golf writer, senior golf writer for The Action Network and joins us now. Jason, I've been at this sports media stuff for 32 years. I have never covered an event that a country would call the biggest sporting event in the history of their country. Uh, whatever writing you do about this year's British Open, they are calling it the biggest sporting event in the history of Northern Ireland. What can you tell us about the rest of that picture? Because that just sounds like a huge statement. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is a country i believe the population of west virginia the size of maine uh you can drive across the country in just a couple of hours and so that is not an overstatement uh there are people over there who uh have lived there their entire lives who have a uh, unique perspective on what this means for the country after the troubles and uh so much political unrest over there and to come back with with an open championship 68 years after the first and only one was played at Royal Portrush. Uh, this is as important and momentous as a moment uh, as we have seen in Northern Ireland for a long time. And uh, you don't have to take my word for that. You can take the word of the people who have uh, been there for an awful long time. I've always read stories and heard about how hard it is to get, say, a master's badge at Augusta National here in our country. I read that in the 148-year-old history of the Open Championship, as they call it over there, they had the earliest sellout of all four days of the event. Um, do you have any sense, is this like all of Europe getting jacked up for this major, the only one on that side of the pond? Or is this, you know, the U.K. and, and Scotland and Northern Ireland, you know, rallying around this historical event because, what, it's only been in Northern Ireland one other time many, many years ago? I believe it's the only sellout in Open Championship okay. history. I mean, if you think about those golf courses, you can always sell another ticket. You can always fit <laughs> another person on, on those courses. There's plenty of property out there to fit another body. So uh, they never sell out. This is the first time ever that's been sold out. Quite frankly, it's a little bit of a surprise yeah. because if you live in the U.K., Royal Portrush is not the easiest golf course to get to. I mean, you can get to St. Andrews. You can get to a Carnoustie. You can get to some of the other ones that are in bigger cities. Uh, Royal Portrush is, you know, if you're Scottish, if you're English, uh, certainly if you're from another part of Europe, it's a little bit of a tough trek to get to. And uh, the fact that everybody's getting over there and they've sold so many tickets is a testament to how much this means to the people over there. I'm never sure, given some of the political tensions over there, exactly who is a beloved local favorite and who is not. So you help me clarify here. Like, I immediately think Northern Ireland, okay, Rory McIlroy is not only a contender – I would imagine he's like the number one local favorite. And then I think of Darren Clark uh, a little bit later in his career or a Graham McDowell, a Patrick Harrington, a Shane Lowry maybe. Are, are all five of those guys, you know, or more local favorites in every sense, or is it more complicated than that? Well, it's Rory McIlroy, Graham McDowell, 
and Darren Clark, who are the Northern Irishmen. I think they kind of lump them all in as Irishmen, but uh, those three are all from Northern Northern Ireland. And quite frankly, Rory will be the favorite amongst the favorites, if that makes sense. Yeah, he will yeah. be the guy who, hey, if we have one guy from Northern Ireland who can actually win this golf tournament, it's Rory McIlroy. And so, yes, the support from the home crowds will be massive this week. That said, Graham McDowell grew up playing and even working at the golf course, working for the pro there. So uh, he's played thousands of golf golf rounds on that golf course, knows it as well as anybody in the field this week. Uh, He will, of course, be a favorite. And Darren Clark still lives there. He's still a member of the club. (laughs) And so he'll have plenty of support there, too. I don't know if that means he's actually going to surprise some people and uh, play well as a past champion because he hasn't been uh, doing much lately as far as his competitive career. But uh, it's pretty cool for him to be able to hit the first tee shot on Thursday morning at his home club. I saw a cool number recently where the average age of, I don't know how far back they went, average age of PGA winners, average age of U.S. Open winners is well under 30 years old. The average age of a Masters winner is a little bit older than 30, but yet the average age of a British Open winner is 36 or so. Uh, how do you describe why that is the case? Why, why is age less of a factor for the British Open than the other three by a significant margin? Simply put, you just don't have to hit the ball 350 yards and go chase it. I yeah. mean, this is a, uh, another golf course, another linked course, where uh, just like every other one we see in the rotation, um, the ball's going to go. Uh, you don't have to worry about not getting it out there. The ball's going to go. So what it takes is uh, ball striking. It takes craft. It takes guile. It takes experience. All those things that Tom Watson brought to Turnberry uh, 10 years ago when he nearly won uh, losing a playoff as a 59-year-old. And some of the more recent guys, Darren Clark, I just mentioned, Ernie Els, Phil Mickelson, Henrik Stenson, all this decade have won the Open Championship uh, sort of above the average age of major winners. And uh, I think it just goes to prove that uh, this is the one. Uh, You're right. This is the one where you can go out and and sort of rely on experience a little bit more than just pure power and, and speed. Jason Sobel's with us. Find his work at The Action Network nowadays. It's also in his Twitter handle, at Jason Sobel, T-A-N, for The Action Network, senior golf writer for The Action Network, joining us on the David Glenn Show. Tiger Woods has not played tournament golf in a month, and I read that he spent a big chunk of that past month with his family in Thailand. His mom is partially of Thai descent. I know he's talked about wanting to show his kids that stuff. What do you make of you know just his approach at this stage of his life and career where he seems to be weighing things differently, uh, maybe even as he's not playing as often you know, for medical purposes? Well, if we were to believe him before this year, Tiger said he was going to play a lot less than he did last year. He said last year took a lot out of him, and he just couldn't play as much golf physically as he did last year. And that, that's exactly what he's done so far. He, he's only played nine events, which is – uh, way below the number for every other elite player in the world right now. So he's stuck with that plan. He spoke today to the assembled media at Royal Portrush and said, first of all, the Masters took a lot out of him. And you could tell yeah. physically, mentally, emotionally, it, it just took a lot out of him to win that golf tournament. Quite frankly, if you said to Tiger in January, hey, you can win the Masters, but the rest of the year is going to be a wash. Would you take it? He'd say, yeah, of course. 
give it to me just like every other player would as well. So uh, I have no problem with him sort of taking his foot off the gas pedal a little bit after winning a fifth green jacket. Uh, that said, uh, his game right now, he said, look, it not really where it needs to be. So he had a decent practice session today, but he's still working on some things, still trying to fight his ball better. I don't expect a whole lot from Tiger this week. Uh, that said, we saw him contend at Carnoustie last year for the first time in a major in five years. And if there's one besides the Masters where Tiger can go out and get a 16th major championship, you've got to believe it would be the Open. Yeah. I, I just think he has the, uh, the better chance, like we talked about, with the experience from the older players. Uh, I think he's got a lot better chance than the PGA Championship or even the U.S. Open. Golf predictions are brutally difficult, so I'm not going to ask it that way. But I will ask you to add to this list of guys that I will be watching, just out of respect for their bigger bodies of work. I've got Brooks Kepka and Dustin Johnson on my list. Mm -hmm. Overseas, I have Rory, of course, Francesco Molinari, Justin Rose, and John Rahm. Um, just what other names come to mind when you think of – you know, who should be on Jason Sobel's whatever, you know, top 10 style? These are the, the betting favorites, to use a, an action network term. Uh, come on, David. You know, I rank the field before every major yeah. game. So we, we can go deeper than 10. We can go 150 That's right. if you want. Uh, of my top three on my list, uh, actually, you only mentioned one of them. Okay. I've got John Rahm in the number two hole. Uh, I think the way he played winning the Irish Open two weeks ago has proven himself on Lynx course. I think he's ready to play some really good golf in a major championship. But uh, you didn't mention my number three, who's an American, Justin Thomas. I think he's okay. starting to trend in the right direction. He's got sort of, uh, I, I get that luck shouldn't play a part, and, you know, everyone gets unlucky at times of golf. He's been really unlucky at the Open Championship in the past few years. He's had really good opening rounds. Really bad second round, sometimes bad breaks, sometimes bad weather, bad draw, whatever it might be. I'm not making excuses, just an explanation. I think Justin Thomas plays really well. He's actually mispriced in the markets if you're looking to make some bets this week. I like Justin a lot. And number one on my list is Adam Scott. Okay, yeah. I've thought ever since losing the Open in 2012 to Ernie Ells, making bogey on his final four holes, I've always thought that Adam was destined to win a claret jug at some point. He's finished top 20 at all three majors so far this year. His putting is much improved uh, than it was over the last couple of years. I, I think Adam Scott is ready to go out there and win a second major championship put next to that green jacket. The last thing for Jason Sobel, again, find his work at theactionnetwork.com on Twitter. He's at Jason Sobel, T-A-N. It's kind of a two-part question on Phil Mickelson, and the first part may be very hard for you to answer. You're a pro, so you just do it however you want to do it. I've, I've always, as just a, a, an observer of golf from afar, who relies on people like you in all seriousness to better understand the game, I've always wanted to believe that Phil Mickelson is truly authentic. You know, I, I just love his sense of humor, you know, his gambling, his everyman personality. I've enjoyed some of his videos when he finally got, at least on Twitter, he may have been on other social media prior to that. I, I just wonder if you, A, have any thoughts about Phil generally and whether you can read the tea leaves, whether the public Phil Mickelson is the real Phil Mickelson, because I've heard contrasting answers along those lines. And I want to believe, Jason, I want to believe. Uh, the second part is, what do you make of 49-year-old Phil Mickelson saying that he lost 15 pounds with a six-day fast, in part because he was frustrated with his golf play and, and sounded like he was willing to try anything? 
Okay, David. There's a lot to unpack. Yeah, there, there is. Uh, me, there is. Let me start with the end of that. Uh, let's go with the weight loss first. Uh, uh, it looks better. I mean, you can you can see it on him physically. You can tell that he has lost weight. Uh, look, whatever he thinks is going to work for him, I think it's less of a physical thing and more of a mental thing. If if in his mind he said, "Hey, I need to lose weight so I can feel better about myself, have more energy, and go out there and play better golf," uh, I think it's probably more important for him mentally than physically. So that's that first part okay. of it. Uh, and yeah, that was that was the away. easier part, right, of the two-part yeah, question. <laughs> the way he's been playing, too, it certainly can't hurt. I think anything sure. he tries it is probably uh, worth trying right now. Uh, the other part of that, I can tell you very honestly, and I would tell you this behind closed doors, one-on-one, with nobody else listening off the record, that there is not a player on the PGA Tour who I enjoy speaking with more than Phil Mickelson. Cool. Um, sometimes it's just a little two minutes after a round, joking around a little bit. I had a chance to caddy for Brendan Steele in the final round of the BMW Championship last year, and Phil was in our group, and I got to spend about five hours walking around the golf course with him, and we swapped a lot of stories. I've had times when it's not often, maybe twice a year, where Phil's not in a rush. I'm walking through a parking lot with another writer or two, and uh, we wound up kind of just – uh, hanging out and BSing for about half an hour, 45 minutes. And uh, and, and very, very honestly, uh, he is one of my favorites, if not my favorite guy on tour. Uh, just to to speak with, to joke around with, to, to needle a little bit, uh, we have some fun with it. So uh, I really like Phil. I think Phil is genuine. I think some of the things in public, yeah, he does have to cultivate an image yeah. a little bit. Sure. Uh, does he have to? you know, reach into his pocket and give a golf ball to uh, the cute three-year-old little girl who's sitting on the side and <laughs> go out of his way to do it when he knows the camera's on him. He doesn't have to do that. Yeah. He knows he's going to get some applause. And yeah. He's going to get some fans, but that's okay. Um, you know, Phil's done things. Uh, I've heard stories where uh, I once went in, when I was still working with Golf Channel, I went into a diner uh, near a, uh, uh, a tournament once, and, and we had breakfast, me and a few other guys that I worked with, and, uh, the waitress said, oh, golf child, do you guys know Phil Mickelson? We said, yeah, of course we know Phil Mickelson. And so, oh, he was here 10 years ago. He left me a $100 tip. Can you believe that? What a nice guy. Yeah. Now, that story has probably been told to yeah. every single person that walked into that diner with a golf shirt on over the last 10 yeah. years. Is that worth 100 bucks for Phil Mickelson to get that kind of PR? Absolutely. But it doesn't mean he didn't want to give her $100 right. and be really nice either. Yeah, that's a great summary. I I think you can be a, a genuine and authentic person and still, you know, add a little icing to the cake if the microphones or the cameras happen to be there. But, but like, w- what are you fundamentally? And I think, you know, your answer is the one that I hoped to hear and desperately wanted to hear. <laughs> he just seems like a really good guy that I would love to have a beer with. As we let you go, as I picture, like, the David Sims unlikable character from, say, the Tin Cup movie, as Don mm-hmm. Johnson played David Sims, uh, what would be, without even naming names, what would be your rough estimate of the, the percentage of PGA Tour pros that are not that authentic guy and, and are smiling when the cameras are on but are deep down inside, I'm in it for myself, I don't care all that much. One of your golf colleagues described... Uh, a percentage of pro golfers. I, I wish I remembered who it was that said this on social media. I would I would say his name, but he said there are a lot of pro golfers that smile at you and thank you for coming, but would not bleep on you if you were on fire. 
And, <laughs> and that sounds very David Sims and Tim Tin Cup like. I'm just wondering about that, just as a person more than as a golf fan. So I will tell you, this is the first question I always get asked when I'm at the first tee with a guy that I've never met before, and they say, oh, what do you do? And I tell them, and, and that's always the question. Sure, right. Is this guy a good guy or is he a jerk? Yeah. He a that's the question I get I, about people yeah. I know well in sports, right? <laughs> what I always answer is there's there's a handful of guys on the PGA Tour who are pretty much good guys all the time that I've never witnessed not being a good guy. They shoot 78, and you go up and say, hey, can I talk to you for a few minutes? They go, yeah, sure, what's up? And there's never a negative bone in their body, uh, never, uh, never really a, a dose of uh, anger towards anybody else. There's some guys you, you kind of get into it with them a little bit. No one is, I'm good 100% of the time, and I'm the nicest person ever. Yeah. No one is, I'm a jerk 100% of the time. Uh, so you just try to find those percentages. Which one's uh, nice to you 72% of the time? Which one's <laughs> nice 67% of the time? Uh, I, I think that's, you know... It, we're sort of looking at it in those terms of, you know, who's a little bit nicer than who else. But quite frankly, they're all just normal guys. Yeah. They're guys that hit a golf ball better than you and I. But other than that, they're all just regular, normal people. Good to hear. Jason Sobel, the, the Action Network, on Twitter at Jason Sobel, T-A-N. You didn't know I was going to turn you into a sociologist today, but I always appreciate you uh, following <laughs> us down all these crazy roads. I love it, buddy. Thanks for having me. Always fun. Jason Sobel heading into the British Open. Thursday starts competitive play. It is being called the biggest sporting event in the history of Northern Ireland. Another of our favorite golf guys, John Feinstein, has described Rory McIlroy in some of the same glowing personal, personal terms, you know, beyond a golfer, just as a human being the way Jason just kind of described Phil Mickelson. And again, I'm ha I'm ha I never claim to know whether my perception from afar about an, uh, an elite athlete that I'm not around or, or only occasionally around, you never know. You just never know. So I'm happy to hear that the, the public fill is mostly the real fill. I've been told that there are some two-faced people on the PGA Tour in larger numbers than some other places. And that's not just, you know, outsiders. That's people who work in the golf industry. Now, that doesn't mean the majority are two-faced jerks. It just means that the percentage is not tiny. And for every real deal, authentic, genuine, good guy, Phil Mickelson or Rory McIlroy, there might be a guy who's only nice the, at the right times the way David Sims slash Don Johnson was in Tin Cup. 1-800-849-2761. Speaking of life and sports, and in this case, basketball, Lavelle Moton, superstar player for NC Central back in the day, superstar coach for NCCU as of today. He just got back from Greece not long ago where he helped coach the Team USA to a gold medal at the U19 FIBA World Cup. He joins us live in about 40 minutes. Roddy Jones of ESPN and the ACC Network will be with us later in hour number three. We do have a floating question of the day. If you're just joining us, it is this. What streak in all of sports do you view as the most untouchable, the most unbreakable? There is no single correct answer, so I'm not making fun of anybody, right? Boston, from the team perspective, the Boston Celtics winning eight straight NBA titles, that's going to be hard to surpass. UCLA winning seven straight NCAA titles under John Wooden, really, really hard to surpass. Unbreakable, untouchable, maybe, maybe not, but belonging on this list for sure. The UConn women won 111 straight women's basketball games. The UNC women in soccer 
won more than 100 straight way back in the late 80s, early 90s under Anson Durrance. Cal Ripken Jr. has an Iron Man streak that is virtually impossible to surpass. Sugar Ray Robinson won 91 consecutive boxing matches. Did you know that Edwin Moses, the track star, went 11 years without losing in a hurdles competition? He won 122 straight over 11 years in major competition. I get That sounds untouchable and unbreakable to me, right? Johnny Unitas is on this list. Wayne Gretzky is on this list. Brett Favre is on this list. Martina Navratilova is on this list. Richard Petty won 10 straight NASCAR races. All good answers. I guess there are just a lot of right answers. What streak in all of sports is the most untouchable, the most unbreakable? Today happens to be the 78th anniversary of Joe DiMaggio, the legendary New York Yankees outfielder, getting to 56 games with his hitting streak. We are celebrating that happy 78th anniversary with that question of the day. The next day, by the way, that streak ended. So today was the game 56 extension of, of Joe DiMaggio's streak. What streak in all of sports is the most untouchable, the most unbreakable? As you see it, you can jump in at 1-800-849-2761. Why hasn't sports gambling in North Carolina, I mean the legal stuff, not the bookie that you call at the corner bar, why hasn't legal sports betting in our state, which is almost here, it just needs Governor Cooper's signature, which is expected in the next 10 days. We will become the 10th state in the union to legalize sports gambling. Why hasn't this been a more intense public debate? Why hasn't it been more controversial? The way gambling often is, including and especially perhaps in Bible Belt type states. I have the answer to that question as we come back to your phone calls. 1-800-849-2761 on The David Glenn Show. Gary Player joining us. This morning I did 1,300 sit-ups and crunches. Wow. I pushed 300 pounds with my legs and I ran on the treadmill. You are one of the legends of golf and you've been an inspiration as a person as well. What a nice compliment and God bless America. You're listening to The David Glenn Show. Welcome back to The David Glenn Show. More good answers to the question of the day. We're honoring the anniversary of Joe DiMaggio's 56-game hitting streak. For some, that is the number one answer to the question of the day. What streak in all of sports do you view as the most untouchable, the most unbreakable? Joe D. got to 56 games on July 16, 1941. That was 78 years ago today. Y'all have once again put on display your sports brilliance because whether it's Richard Petty's 10 straight NASCAR victories from 1967 or Byron Nelson's 11 straight golf victories from an era long ago or other individual or team examples, Celtics eight straight in the NBA titles, UCLA seven straight in college hoops titles, UConn's women's basketball team, UNC's women's soccer team. Back in the day, they would go more than 100 straight games without losing a single game or match. That's insane. Cal Ripken Jr.'s Iron Man streak, Sugar Ray Robinson's 91 straight boxing wins, Johnny Unitas has one of these records that knocked my socks off. I kind of remembered it because maybe this has come up in a context in the past. Would you believe that the record for most consecutive games with a touchdown pass? Now, remember, Brett Favre came up earlier today because he has 
a consecutive starts streak that if you count the playoffs is over 300 games in a row. Nobody's close to that, right? Without the playoffs, it's still at like 297 or something like that. Johnny Unitas's streak that still stands today was in the late 1950s. And you might say, well, what was it? Three yards in a cloud of dust streak? No. The record for consecutive games with a TD pass, I believe it still stands, was Johnny Unitas, 46 straight. That's one of my emails. I looked that up. He did have a 46 straight game touchdown pass streak in the 1950s, for crying out loud. That's amazing to me. Wayne Gretzky once had at least a point in 51 consecutive games. So either an assist or a goal or both. Wayne Gretzky, the great one in hockey, 51 straight games with a point. Martina Navratilova in the tennis world went 17 straight years with at least one Grand Slam title. 17 years in a row. Federer and Nadal and Djokovic in, women's, in, in men's tennis right now are in about a 15 or so year streak where they've been cranking out Grand Slam titles left and right. All your answers are good. I'm not even going to try to differentiate them or put them in order. I just thank you for your sports brilliance. 1-800-849-2761 is your ticket into the program. Why, one question I promised that I would answer. Why, with the state of North Carolina, our state on the cusp of becoming just the 10th state in our union to legalize sports betting, Nevada had a monopoly or close to it for a long time. Supreme Court last May came out with a ruling that changed all the rules and lifted that monopoly, basically. There are now nine states that have sports betting legally. Arkansas started this month, joining Nevada, Delaware, New Jersey, Mississippi, West Virginia, New Mexico, Pennsylvania, and Rhode Island. I would not have bet on North Carolina being one of the 10 states first to legal sports gambling. So why hasn't it been a more intense, angry public debate? Why hasn't there been more controversy? Well, here's the answer to the question. For those who don't know, the North Carolina House yesterday followed the North Carolina Senate in approving a bill that would enable more sports, well, the arrival of sports gambling, the expansion of gambling more generally here in the state of North Carolina. Governor Roy Cooper can either sign it, veto it, or actually he can just do nothing for 10 days and allow it to become law even without his signature. It's expected to be a reality. So why hasn't it been a screaming match, etc.? Darren, did you ever date perhaps a younger woman earlier in your life that had an imposing figure lurking over her. Maybe a dad, but maybe mom, maybe grandma, maybe an aunt, maybe a big brother. Yeah, older brother. That right? for sure rings true. All right, you tell me if your experience matched, matched mine way, way back in the day on the early dating scene. If you were simply drinking lemonade on the front porch, you have a name in mind? How about Wendy with an I? I've never okay. met a bad Wendy with an eye. You All know right. my theory about about unconventional spellings of names. Yeah, yeah. I don't don't get me started on that. <laughs> Wendy with an eye. If you're having lemonade on the front porch, and let's say Big Brother's shooting hoops in the driveway and actually has a line of sight to observe you, right? <laughs> Maybe mom and dad are gardening right out front, right? You're right there in the middle of it all. You're still with Wendy with an eye. 
but they're probably not peppering you with questions, right? Whereas if you say, you know, I think I'm going to take Wendy with an aisle, Wendy with an eye, uh, to Emerald Isle for a week. <laughs> Here come the questions. <laughs> you're going to get the eye darts from the imposing big brother. <laughs> you're going to be peppered with questions, even if there's a debate. I mean, you might be thrown out the door. They might just push your car down the hill to encourage you to leave <laughs> when you raise this idea up the flagpole. The bottom line would be for you in the dating world, the more elaborate the request, the more the debate on the House or Senate floor, if you will, correct? <laughs> yeah, All absolutely. Right. No questions for the lemonade on the porch. <laughs> Lots of questions. Maybe an angry debate about the week-long trip to Emerald Isle. I raise this illustration and give an out, a shout-out to an actual Wendy with an eye from many years ago. No time to elaborate <laughs> on that one. The sports legal betting aspect of our state as we speak was the lemonade on the porch. Do you know why? Because this is huge. All it did in our state, we are the, we're about to be the 10th state to legalize sports gambling. That sounds like a huge headline. The reality is it is allowed only at tribal casinos in the southwest corner of North Carolina in the tiny towns of Cherokee and Murphy, N.C., where seriously, the majority of people I know in this state have never been to either of those towns. They're very small towns. If you go there, it's probably for the previously legal forms of gambling. You might not have even known that was the case here in North Carolina. Now they're just letting the same two outlets on tribal land in that portion of our state go from all sorts of other legal gambling and adding sports on top of it. Can you imagine if it was more expansive than that? And there were gambling posts about to spring up in Wilmington, Greenville, Rocky Mount, Fayetteville, High Point, Greensboro, Boone, Asheville, Charlotte, and all the rest. That would have been a debate. That's the, I'm taking your daughter to Emerald Isle for a week, and we might not even call to check in. <laughs> right? Yeah. Another huge asterisk is that the, the issue of mobile betting has been adopted by a lot of other states. Imagine the difference. Like, we're tipping our toe into the legal sports gambling world by allowing the same two places you can already gamble on other things to add sports. That's it. Two tiny places that you might never see. I've lived here for 30-plus years, and I've never been to either one, okay? I'm not a big gambler, and I don't have anything against either place. I've just never been there. You could live here a long time and not even know there's been legal gambling in our state. So it's only those two places, and there's no mobile wagering. What if you, uh, you're not a gambler, best I know, Darren, on the way to and from work, it wouldn't matter if it was only in Little Cherokee and Little Murphy, North Carolina, if there was the mobile gambling aspect of it. We wouldn't care if they were located on Pluto. If, if, the, if mobile gambling was allowed, it would have been the I'm taking your daughter to Emerald Isle for a trip, a week-long trip again. That's a different debate. No mobile wagering. Bets must be placed at the casinos themselves exclusively in Murphy and Cherokee. The tax revenue for the state as a result is going to be a relatively piddling $1 or $2 million a year. Most of the nine states that already have sports gambling, of course Nevada for decades, but even the rest, they're taking a deeper dive into sports gambling. That's... That's the Emerald Isle conversation that those states had and passed the laws anyway. 
were the front porch lemonade conversation, and that's why it passed without a whole lot of intense debate or angry back and forth whatsoever. 1-800-849-2761. That was the one thing I promised. Charlie in Hillsboro has a pretty amazing streak from the hockey world. This one shocked me when I saw it as we're honoring Joe DiMaggio's 56-game hitting streak. Charlie, you have a really good one. Uh, I don't know if you're old enough to remember this guy, but uh, that is a streak that sounds untouchable to me. Yeah, thanks for the call, D. Sure. This is uh, this is Glenn Hall, Mr. Goalie, 502 consecutive regular season NHL games started and completed from the mid 50s to the early 60s. That's ridiculous. He he, 502 consecutive games, and all of them starts. And if I remember correctly, all or most of those 502 straight games for that goalie were without a mask. Right? All of them without a mask. All of them? I think he, had, I think he might have adopted a mask near, near the end of his career with uh, St. Louis, but those were all no mask. And think of it, in modern NHL history, no, no goalie plays every regular season game. Like, you can't get to 502 if you can't get to 11, right? That sounds unbreakable to me. That Actually, on the unbreakable scale, that might be as good as anyone I've heard so far today. Very well done. An excellent contribution from Charlie in Hillsborough. 1-800-849-2761 is your ticket into the program. Robert in Wilmington has a little bit off the beaten path example. Welcome to the David Glenn Show. What streak in all of sports is the most untouchable, the most unbreakable for you? When I back in my day, still a long time ago, there's a wrestler at Iowa. His name is Dan Gabin, and I believe he's the coach at Iowa. Yeah, still, yeah. I think he went 178 and one, and the only time he lost, I believe, I've watched it. He was confused, or he made a mistake on the score up on uh, that way he was wrestling. He kind of let it get away, and he lost by one point. He's a legend, man. But uh, he was an he was an he was an incredible. I had the opportunity to wrestle him when I was like teenager. You and wrestled it was like, I did. Oh, I, my I gosh. And, and it was like you wrestling your 10-year-old kid. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it that was, does it sound was, good. It was, it, was, it was incredible. But How'd you do? Oh, I, I, got, I got murdered. You got crushed? Well, did I you get crushed. pinned or just survive or what? Oh, we, we had a wrestling camp. And he, just, it was oh. like he threw me around the mailbag. I didn't know what I was doing. I don't know how long you've listened to this show, but I've told a story a few times. I'm not going to make it long this time because I, I, don't, I don't have enough time. But long story short, I was at Silesianum High School in Wilmington, Delaware. Uh, our gym class focus for a period of weeks was wrestling. We would jump from sport to sport. And I loved it when it was like one of my sports. Oh, tennis, oh, baseball, I, I, can, I can dominate, right? So it was wrestling. I was not a wrestler. I was in okay shape as an athlete, but not elite wrestling type shape. And in my weight, they, they did divide us by weight class. I, I won my first match, and then I, I didn't feel like my second and third matches, the other guy was trying very hard. And I couldn't figure out, like, maybe, you know, they're just mailing it in. It's only gym class, et cetera. I come to find out that they were losing to me on purpose because I happened to be in the same weight class as the state champion for the state of Delaware in that weight class. And the other dudes were smart enough to look at the bracket and see who you had to wrestle if you made it to the final match. 
I was just trying to beat the dude in front of me, barely even no, I mean, I was trying to execute the, the primitive moves that they were teaching. This is gym class, right? Of course, I'm trying to remember the dude's name. I would say it if I could remember. He was a monster. Like, just imagine whatever any of your weight is right there, right now. Like, I was a baseball player. I was in pretty good shape. W whatever that weight was, I can't even remember, 170-some pounds? Let's just say that it did not look nearly as nice on me as it looked on him, all right? Like, I thought, I, I th like, is this dude really in my weight class? I mean, part, part of me thought he was smaller than I was, but he was just so absolutely ripped that I was the butt of all the jokes because everybody else had figured out that you better lose before you get to, his name was Mark, I remember, in the last round because he, he also had a little bit of a mean streak. Like, so he didn't just want to beat you. He wanted to humiliate you. And I believe he successfully did humiliate everybody in that bracket at Salesianum High School back in 1984. And uh, he let me live, so I have him, I have him to thank for that. Uh, maybe I felt just a little bit like Robert felt going up against Dan Gable back in the day. Thanks for contributing to today's program. Lavelle Moten live in less than 20 minutes on all things life, sports, and basketball. A gold medal. For Team USA, he was a part of recently in Greece. More about that with Coach Moten. Roddy Jones on all things college football in less than 60 minutes. More of your calls, too. 1-800-849-2761. Why am I more optimistic right now about Major League Soccer coming to the state of North Carolina than I have been in my entire lifetime? I will tell you as we come back to your calls. 1-800-849-2761. Next on the David Glenn Show. Kurt Busch is joining us, 38-year-old champion of the Daytona 500. Well, I went out with Gronk last night after uh, after we won the race. Did you really? Also, it was fun. Got about an hour of sleep. I asked him, I go, hey, when do you have to report to training camp? He goes, July. I said, well, we can't be friends because i got to <laughs> go back to racing. Stay with us on the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show, 1-800-849-2761. We're honoring Joe DiMaggio's legendary streak with our floating question of the day. While hitting on some NBA, Madden 20 video game, British Open, college football media days, sports betting, the legal style in North Carolina, and other things, Joe DiMaggio, 78 years ago today, got to that 56th game in his 56-game hitting streak, one of the most famous in American sports history. Since that is a happy 78th anniversary for Joe DiMaggio, we are honoring that streak with this question. What streak in all of sports is the most untouchable, the most unbreakable? The Celtics in the NBA, UCLA in college hoops, UConn's women in basketball, UNC's women in soccer. They all had streaks that we outlined earlier. Cal Ripken Jr.'s Ironman playing streak, Sugar Ray Robinson's 91-match boxing victory streak, Wayne Gretzky, Johnny Unitas, Brett Favre, Richard Petty, Martina Navratilova, Edwin Moses, among the other high-profile answers to the question of the day. You can jump in at 1-800-849-2761. Roddy Jones from ESPN and the brand new ACC network third hour on college football Lavelle Moten of NC Central live in 15 minutes on all things life sports and basketball why am I more optimistic right now as the host of a syndicated statewide show that covers an enormous chunk of the great state of North Carolina and reaches many others even beyond our state why am I more optimistic right now about major league soccer coming to our soil than I've ever been in my 32-year career 
The answer is mostly Carolina Panthers owner David Tepper. He, of course, has deep pockets. He is described by some financial publications as one of the 100 wealthiest people in the world. He also, in the summer of 2018, hired a guy named Tom Glick, and he went from theorizing about wouldn't it be cool to have both an MLS team that I own and an NFL team that I already own, the Carolina Panthers, sharing Bank of America Stadium. If you've ever met or talked to Tom Dundon of the Carolina Hurricanes or a guy like David Tepper or other owners, they're always thinking in terms of, you know, what they learned in economics class, right? And if you can go year-round, oh, my! the Panthers are my product from August, basically late July in preseason camp, all the way through the end of the NFL season and beyond with the draft and other offseason things. And, wow, now I own an MLS team and I can entertain and have new revenue streams for the part of the American sports calendar where the NFL is not in play? Well, then David Tepper is just a king in yet another way, financially and as a sports owner. The guy's money and the guy's hiring of Tom Glick, if you look up his bio, he's a soccer guy. He has helped other cities get MLS franchises. This is not an NFL guy, and yet David Tepper hired Tom Glick, soccer dude. So you got the money. He's saying that Bank of America Stadium is a ready-made stadium with some tweaks, whereas a, a, a city like Raleigh and others still need to build. It's only in the planning stages. I mean, those photos and artist renderings are wonderful, but a real ready stadium is much more impressive to the MLS folks. The MLS yesterday was originally going to host a presentation from the city of St. Louis, which is expected to be announced as a new expansion franchise later this month. David Tepper was in New York City and got the city of Charlotte time in front of that same MLS commissioner and that same MLS expansion committee. He did it because of his money. He did it because he has data showing 30,000-plus people want to buy season tickets. He says that he has commitments tentatively from sponsors that would put a Charlotte MLS franchise in the top, court, uh, the top what do you call it, quintile of, of all existing MLS franchises. If you could say I'm worth $13 billion and you want to be, you want me as a part of your enterprise, and oh, by the way, we have this data on ticket sales and sponsorships, and I've got this soccer guy who's my right-hand man now. Folks, it's a new world, and I'm supporting and excited about the Raleigh bid. That is still in the mix as well. Miami, Nashville, and Austin, Texas already have gotten expansion franchises. That makes 27. St. Louis is going to get one. That makes 28. MLS is saying they're going to 30, and there will be a 29th added later this month. I don't think Charlotte's that ready, but I wouldn't bet against Charlotte at this point. When the MLS gets to 30, there is a great chance now that Charlotte will be one of those 30 starting actual play a couple years down the road. It's not a done deal, but it's a different picture than it's been in my entire career. We're back after this. Mike Lupica, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Sports used to be called the toy department, and I said, look at the political scene and, and, and tell me that's any more real or, or more serious than what we see when people say, oh, stick to sports. Well, who passed that law? You're listening to the David Glenn Show. 
NC Central basketball coach Lavelle Moten on life, hoops, and his recent gold medal with Team USA. That's next on the David Glenn Show. Kevin Hartland is joining us. It was a boring game, and the guy ran out right through the formation as if he was a wide receiver <laughs> to be a part of the play. The guy is drunk, but there he goes. You always think of calling that dramatic last-second buzzer-beating shot or a touchdown pass or, or something more historic. This is the David Glenn Show.